because local matters. The John McMullen Show on Radio 111, talking about what matters in your life. Now, here's John. Well, thank you for being with us, and I am happy to welcome 56th District California Assembly Member Eduardo Garcia to the launch of our 2022 season of podcast for The John McMullen Show. Happy New Year, Eduardo, and there is a whole bunch of activity relevant to the Golden State and to Southern California and the desert cities to discuss. We appreciate you joining us. Happy New Year to you and uh, everyone uh, listening in. It's always great to be on your show and be able to give a little bit of an update on what's happening whether it be statewide or specifically to our region, beautiful Coachella Valley. Well, let's start out, uh, I think, with the politics and head towards the policy in this conversation. Uh, every 10 years, I kind of shudder because uh, we go nationwide through redistricting, and this seems to be head-scratching for a lot of people, except lawmakers and political parties who I think kind of live for this blood sport. Uh, Californians decided to try and make this more of a balancing act by placing it in the hands of a commission, and bravo to that, but uh, it's still kind of mind-boggling, and that definitely is the case in the Coachella Valley, I think, this year, where I personally believe that we should even be, or should not even be, in the same county uh, with those who are in uh, the areas west of Mount San Jacinto, but we'll save that for another day. Uh, Why can't the desert cities be encompassed in a single legislative district instead of being lumped in with Western Riverside County or parts of San Diego County? Well, look, that's an excellent question. And I think for, for us who follow this very closely, yeah, we know the answer. But for the general public, you know, there are certain laws and criteria that are needed to be followed in order to encompass uh, districts um, and the makeup of the districts to be balanced, to be um, considerate of uh socioeconomics, demographics, and that there be reflective representation uh, in these districts, whether it be an assembly district or a congressional district. That being said, uh, it is a very difficult job, as we got to see firsthand, and some of us spent uh, quite a bit of time watching um, live um, you know, meetings that this uh, independent commission put together, and we got to see firsthand how difficult of a task uh, this uh, body had uh, to put together these districts up and down the state of California, considering, you know, Voting Rights Act uh, laws, uh, considering uh, socioeconomics, demographics, and trying to keep uh, communities of interest uh, intact, following those legal requirements that uh, that I just mentioned. Uh, much more complicated than that. I think I've probably simplified it um, too much, but nevertheless, uh, that is the big balancing act. And uh, when it's all said and done, every 10 years, we're presented with new boundaries, new opportunities. And uh, really, that's where we're at today. Those maps were submitted uh, two days ago to the Secretary of State to make that official. And uh, we will now have new districts, in some cases, new representatives. And uh, it's kind of exciting to see, you know, what comes from that. What happens to the 56th district? 56th District uh, didn't change a whole lot. Uh, We did lose, unfortunately, two um, areas of the western part of uh, the district, uh, Desert Hot Springs, Cathedral City, uh, and were um, added communities uh, going into San Bernardino County, um, which are the city of Needles and other communities between Needles and uh, the desert. 
We also got some areas in the high uh, mountain areas, I guess we could call the western part of uh, Riverside County that are new. But for the most part, it remains a very strong uh, Democratic district, uh, by and large, a demographic uh, that is made made up uh, largely of uh, Latino, Latina um, constituents. Uh, It's gone from a, you know, 20 some plus Democratic um, advantage in registration between Democrats and Republicans to somewhere in the range of like 16 or or 17. So not a lot of changes, uh, a lot of certainty there that uh, the seat will remain uh, a Democratic seat. And uh, look for us, uh, I think we're in a really good position to run for re-election there and be successful. So what happens to people who live in Cathedral City and Desert Hot Springs? Cathedral City and Desert Hot Springs were incorporated into what will be a new district. Uh, The number uh, doesn't uh, come to mind at this moment. It becomes part of the communities that that are currently represented by Chad Mays, uh, everything from La Quinta, uh, to Indian Wells, Palm Desert, to Rancho Mirage, and uh, and Palm Springs. They will be incorporated into that district. And uh, it's in a position where I believe registration between Democrats and Republicans are right, right, kind of split down the middle. Uh, there might be a point or two advantage uh, for Democratic registration. And uh, there's some good candidates running in that uh, district uh, for that seat. We are yet to hear as well. Uh, the current assembly member in that area, Ted Mays, will be running for re-election. But uh, it certainly is um, tilting in the direction of becoming a Democratic seat. Hold on while I run and grab some Prilosec. Um, okay. <laughs> well, thank you uh, for that summary because redistricting is a big issue right now. Uh, but we have also been hearing a lot of chatter about you possibly seeking higher office and challenging Dr. Raul Ruiz for the United States House of Representatives. It seems pretty unusual to have an incumbent Democrat challenged by another Democrat. Uh, I thought that that was a move kind of safe for Republicans who either agree or disagree with the most disgraceful president of our nation's history. But um, please share with us what you feel that you can bring to the congressional district if you're going to run that Dr. Weiss perhaps is not able to accomplish or do as well as you. Well, I'll just begin by saying that the uh, idea of running for Congress in this new district that now encompasses the uh, eastern Riverside County that looks very uh, similar to our current assembly district and all of Imperial County, um, the idea really comes from our constituents, the people who we've been serving in the California State Legislature, people from Imperial County, people from eastern Riverside County, see uh, an opportunity for someone like myself uh, to continue the work that we've done in the legislature and uh, the demonstrated outcomes. We have a long track record of getting things done, not just pushing public policy, but also bringing home the money, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars for a wide uh, range of issues that we've addressed, everything from housing uh, the, the poor people of Oasis Mobile Home Park uh, to hundreds of millions of dollars where we've broken ground at the Salton Sea um, this past year with a $200 million project. Uh, And so there is just a long range of uh, activities that I think lay out a foundation for people in the district uh, to approach us uh, to seriously consider it. I'm in Imperial County today, and people are are hoping that uh, we do uh, make that run, that this isn't about Dr. Reese. This is about who can best represent 
um, the region, and I think we have an excellent track record of doing so. Uh, we've got some time, you know. I am hoping to sit down with our good friend, the doctor, and have a conversation about the short-term and long-term plans of the region. You know, we had an idea uh, that others uh, shared with us uh, uh, initially and that, uh, you know, Dr. Reese would be best suited to run in the district where he lives uh, and in the district where he could actually have the biggest impact, and that is the district that uh, will uh, currently, you know, be served if no one challenges him. But Ken Calvert, if anyone can beat and Calvert, we all believe it'd be Dr. Reese. He, Dr. Reese has a different idea, and, and we respect that. But, uh, you know, we uh, are looking forward to a conversation with him and look at the region as a whole and the future of uh, what the landscape of the Democratic Party looks like. I think uh, uh, it could be a missed opportunity uh, to not have, you know, two uh, congressional representatives uh, representing uh, our region. But uh, we respect his decision, and uh, I hope that uh, you will, too, when uh, we decide whether or not we throw a name in the hat. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of excitement and enthusiasm from our constituents, all the way from Indio down to the border of, uh, of Calexico and in between. We've done some great work in, the, in our tenure in the legislature, and that's what people are basing their uh, excitement about. Sure. Well, climate change is important around the world, and you made your way to Scotland late last year to participate in the Climate Change Conference. Uh, what did you learn, and what were you able to share about the impact on our region, and did you come away with valuable action items that are achievable at the state and local level beyond steps that were already underway here? Absolutely, and I'll say that uh, we haven't just participated in these conferences We've been able to put on display the number of initiatives that we have sponsored in the California State Legislature that have set the tone for global uh, public policy to be adopted when it comes to climate change. I've authored those bills. We've spearheaded those efforts uh, in California along with uh, many other of my colleagues. And so I'm excited to be able to tell you that in in Glasgow at the uh, COP26, we played a critical role in speaking on a number of different panels about what's happening in California as it relates to environmental justice communities and investments that are being made uh, in, in those areas that, uh, that are critical to economic justice uh, and improving the public health and well-being of residents. And that includes the people in my district. Uh, you know, the Salton Sea is a climate crisis, you know, when it comes to uh, how we framed it and how we've been successful in obtaining hundreds of millions of dollars to get projects off the ground as one started this last year. Uh, we talked a lot about electrification of our transportation system, and without a doubt, the conversation about lithium and lithium development in our region was front and center. Many countries and nations are reading about this major lithium deposit that is happening in our area. People were intrigued by our bill that established the Lithium Valley Commission that ensures that local stakeholders, uh, local people that live in and around the Salton Sea will have a say in how this all pans out, and we're hoping that it does in a way where the local residents are shareholders and become the direct beneficiaries of uh, whatever happens in terms of development of more geothermal and lithium development for purposes of electrification of our transportation system and our energy storage, large energy battery storage. And look, Imperial County and Eastern Riverside County is well positioned to take advantage of the other opportunities that um, the lithium industry uh, presents, like manufacturing and uh, the assembling and development of uh, key elements that will contribute to the overall uh, objectives that the state has put forward, which is 5 million electric vehicles on the, on the road by 2035, 
250,000 charging stations up and down the state of California with an emphasis on disadvantaged communities to stimulate the electric vehicle uh, purchasing uh, in poor communities of color and creating incentives for poor families to be able to afford. You know, the day that a farm worker family or someone that works in the hotel industry in the Coachella Valley can afford a electric vehicle, whether it be new or used, uh, we met our goals. And I think that uh, was a critical component to the conversation in Glasgow. The last thing I'll add is that there is an outcry by the poor communities, the poor countries around the world saying that, you know, our industrial nations with the money need to make greater investments if we're going to really achieve these goals and objectives that are set at these climate conferences uh, that are global. So this was uh, the third conference that I get to attend and be part of the leadership of the assembly in the California city legislature. So when we talk about climate change, uh, we don't just talk about it. We've been doing uh, the work and we're excited to have our name on a number of different public policies that are being looked at by other nations and duplicating that type of effort. Eduardo, I'm not going to argue with you that there are myriad economic impact benefits to our region and to people who have been disadvantaged in our region with these things that you're talking about at the Salton Sea. But there is, I think, a much bigger picture. So help me wrap my mind around uh, the fact that I don't think that we're spending enough money and enough focus on looking at restoration of the sea to protect the health and welfare of the people who live not just in our region, in Imperial and uh, the Coachella Valleys, but also uh, people who live all throughout Southern California who will have to breathe the air that is so toxic in coming out of that area. What, if anything, is ever going to be done about uh, doing something with a restoration of the sea in terms of doing a sea-to-sea solution, as we've talked about before. And honestly, with companies like Berkshire Hathaway that own the world, uh, why can't those who are going to be benefiting from the lithium extraction in that region be contributing financially back into something that the state budget may not be able to sustain in terms of fixing this as a health threat to people who live in our area? John, I don't disagree, and I think that the Berkshire Hathaways and the controlled thermal uh, resources and the Cal Energy and uh, and other you know energy source uh, you know companies that are out there can contribute. And I don't disagree with you that not enough has been invested into some key. But I'll just give you an example: State of California over the last six years have put forward uh, over six hundred million dollars, and there's two hundred and twenty million dollars under construction as we speak on the southeast part of the Salton Sea something that you and many others should be talking about exactly the type of project that we need to see happen in order to intervene with the public health aspects uh, that are impacting the people living in and around the sea, as well as the eco-habitat that needs to be restored. As it relates to the C2C conversation, uh, you and I know very well that uh, that is a long-term uh, conversation that is currently being analyzed by the University of Santa Cruz to uh, truly determine the viability economic viability of that. We've also talked about, you know, some of the challenges that exist with the government of Mexico and their desire not to see us cut through uh, their uh, northern part of the country and import water from from their protected uh, water uh, areas, which are the northern part of the Sea of Cortez that are protected by United Nations charter policy. And so there's a lot of challenges there, but 
what I can tell you is, you know, when the federal government makes an announcement that they've contributed $1 million to self-esteem effort, and you compare that to the hundreds of millions of dollars that the state of California has put forward, God, geez, you know, the, the majority of the salt and tea is owned by the federal government, and we've seen very little action and investment coming from the federal government, and I know that our congressmen and others are doing the best job that they can, but for God's No, they're sake, not. No, they're know, not. I have no problem well, saying that. They are not doing it, and that if I have one issue with Representative Ruiz, it's that he has not been a bigger advocate on this issue, not to get a million dollars, but to get multiple billions of dollars sent this way, because California is the gateway to the rest of the world in terms of bringing product into and out of this country and so on. I just, if we all have to be walking around in moon suits in another 15, 20 years just to survive, what kind of a life is that? Well, look, John, I, I, I won't disagree with you. I am just speaking to the context of um, what the state of California has done. And what we've spearheaded during my time in the legislature, right. uh, I make the, the contrast of what the federal government has or hasn't done to give you an example of how much more there is to be done. Uh, yeah. You know, this year, the budget uh, committed another $220 million that will be broken up into three allocations as we get projects shovel ready. That money will be uh, dished out. The Salton Sea Authority is spearheading the North Lake uh, pilot project that is a uh, been spearheaded by our supervisor and the local authority where that project could potentially bring some economic vitality to the region, some recreational opportunities, and also demonstrate to the residents of the northern part of the Salton Sea area that there are some projects that could have direct value and impact. So that is all initiated by the state of California. And I will tell you, there is a lot more to be done. And if I continue to be your representative and say, legislature, we will make sure that this remains a top priority. And without a doubt, this conversation that you uh, started about the South and Sea goes back to private companies that are going to potentially benefit in the billions of dollars from the recovery of lithium have to contribute to the restoration uh, of the South and Sea. Imperial County is the um, uh, agency that will be adopting and approving these projects. They're currently exploring a mineral fee recovery uh, a recovery fee, I should say, for minerals in the region, you know, all tailored around the issue of lithium and other minerals that are um, in in uh, uh, hands reach in Imperial County. And that's all being uh, discussed in the Lithium Valley Commission that we established so that the community has a voice. Wow. And so uh, I could tell you, we, we, uh, we see a lot of good coming out of that work, and we also see uh, the state of California continuing to live up to that commitment. Although it may not be as big as we want, as fast as we want, but there is work coming out of the state of California when it comes to the salt and sea. Last question on this particular topic today, and I promise you that. Um, but what accountability has the agriculture industry, which makes a fortune off of our region as well, what price have they paid uh, towards uh, helping with that any sort of that restoration due to their uh, chemical runoff that has created so much of the havoc that we experience in the sea? I think it's important to notice that uh, the state of California has some of the most aggressive pesticide regulation policies and continue to evolve and uh, elevate the standards. And so over the course of the last few decades, there has been less and less agricultural pesticide runoff going into the Salton Sea, which is um, a good thing. Uh, on the flip side, and we don't want pesticides going into the Salton Sea. There has been just 
less runoff water going into the sea that has accelerated the drying up of the shoreline. So that's kind of the, the other side of that. Yeah. The agriculture industry um, has not been pinpointed as someone that has a responsibility to uh, investing and restoring into the salt and sea. The agriculture community has been supportive of the initiatives that have been put forward. The agricultural community is being asked to be supportive of the idea of how to fill in the pilot project on the north side of uh, the Salton Sea with the uh, Salton Sea pilot project. And so there will be some conversations where the agriculture community could play a role. But as of now, there hasn't been a direct uh, responsibility that they've been given uh, for purposes of helping restore the Salton Sea. I think right now uh, what uh, we're focused on is making sure that the state of California lives up to its expectation, is held accountable. And, uh, you know, with $500, $600 million allocated to uh, salt and sea restoration, starting with Jerry Brown and this administration, Mr. Gavin Newsom, uh, I think we're going to make some uh, some headways. And 2022 is going to demonstrate that uh, California is committed to the salt and sea and that we are committed to economic development in the region by recovering uh, lithium in a safe and environmentally sound manner uh, that could actually really make a difference in the lives of the people that live in around that area. And let's not forget, we talked about climate change. We're talking about the Salton Sea. I interconnect the two. And this is about public health. This is about making sure, and I'm not a doctor, but I can tell you this. There are seven out of ten kids that have asthma in that region, adults that suffer from respiratory disease problems. This is a public health issue that we have framed in the state legislature that I believe has led us to these successful outcomes in getting these allocations. I'll, I'll share one last thing with you. There's a perception in the Capitol with some of my colleagues that in my short term in the legislature, we've been able to secure billions of dollars for the South and Sea. Well, that is uh, far from the truth. We have been able to secure close to 500 to $600 million. But at the end of the day, you know, the perception that my colleagues have up there is that we are shaking the trees we are making advancements when it comes to salt and sea work. They know about it. They're hearing about it. And quite honestly, you know, when it comes to these allocations of money, it's uh, either them or us because you can't fund everything, right? I'm sure my colleagues have special projects that they would like to be funded in the magnitude of the monies that we've been able to secure. But at the end of the day, this is a liability for the state of California. This is a public health threat to the region and to the Southern California area. Uh, impacting the quality of life and the economy. And that's why we see the investments that have been made. And you you said it best. Uh, we haven't gone far enough as a state. I will uh, agree with you on that front. Uh, the federal government hasn't done enough to be able to help us in this effort. You know, my, my plea, my ask of Congressman Reed, Congressman Vargas, is to help match some of the investments that have been made uh, to the Salton Sea. I'll give you an example. Uh, in a couple of months, we're starting a project on the border in Calexico, the New River uh, project that is a binational problem of raw sewage coming from the Mexican side of the border. Right. It's a federal government issue. It's an issue that the federal government should be dealing with the government of Mexico. The state of California has stepped in. Prop 68 that I initiated and authored and passed by the voters allocated you know, money for New River restoration and the cleanup on this side of the border something that we should not be investing our money in, but we are. Why? Because we have a moral obligation to protect the public health and well-being of the people in California. That project will begin in a few months. And it's the same thing with the 
problems happening in the eastern Coachella Valley when it comes to uh, Oasis Mobile Home Park and other mobile home parks that don't have clean water that are on federal government lands, or Indian reservation land, that the federal government, the EPA, the BIA, have responsibilities to take care of. And the state of California, through our leadership and initiative working with the local community, we're able to secure $30 million to start relocating families among these parts. Yeah. You know, I can tell you uh, that, and I'm not making a case for why I actually went for Congress. What I'm saying is that we've been working really hard representing the people of this area in the areas in which don't really pertain jurisdictionally to us, but because they are our constituents and they are the people that we care about and represent, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that we get outcomes. Well, honestly, I, I think you are making the case for why you should be considered for federal office, because those are the things that are affecting everybody's life, and that is not about some special interest group. It is about all of us being able to breathe the air and drink the water and know that we're going to be safe day in and day out. So um, I, I think you definitely speak to much of what is happening here, and and it's good to know that there are solutions that are, are are being considered and acted upon. We're talking with Eduardo Garcia, 56th District Assembly member in the California State Legislature. And we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. But my friends, I do want to take a moment here to tell you about the John McMullen Show being presented on Radio 111 through the very generous support of El Portal Mexican Restaurant. You've heard me talk about Victor Lupercio and his outstanding staff who make dining at El Portal so enjoyable over the last few years. Well, the care that they take, it's like they've welcomed you into their home for breakfast, lunch, or dinner because they have. The pandemic has hurt a lot of small businesses here in our valley, but the team at El Portal has been serving customers through the tough times as well as the good ones and giving you their same first-class attentiveness while serving up authentic south-of-the-border cuisine from long-established family recipes. They're open at 9.30 every morning and start with value-priced breakfasts, then it's the 10 buck lunch, and there are specials all week long when it comes to dinner time. Whether you want tasty tacos, scrumptious combinations, chicken, pork, beef, or fish entrees, or one of the Valley's best selection of adult beverages and starter plates for happy hour or late night dining, you're going to experience authentic Mexican food and hospitality seven days a week at El Portal. Visit them, eat at elportal.com. That's eat at elportal.com. And they're located a block south of Ramon on Date Palm Drive in Cathedral City. They also offer takeout and delivery El Portal Mexican Restaurant, and tell them I sent you. Now, let's get back to our conversation here with our guest, Eduardo Garcia. I know that you also played a role in many local grants for parks and housing investments in our region. Uh, talk about some of those victories for people here in the desert cities. Thank you for that question, Tom, because one of the things that I enjoy the most about my job um, was being able to transfer my, um, my experiences and the work that I got to do in local government as mayor in Coachella. And one of the things that I really, really get excited about is uh, the investments that we made in our parks, uh, developing a park master plan in the city of Coachella, and carrying that agenda uh, at a statewide level. One of the first things that I was tasked by um, Speaker Rendon was, uh, he said to me, hey, uh, I know you've done a lot of work in the parks areas, but would you like to carry a park bond at the state? Uh, level and, and without a doubt, I jumped at the opportunity and immediately became, you know, kind of the park, you know, champion along with former uh, Senate Pro Tem and now candidate for mayor 
Kevin DeLeon. And we and we spearheaded Prop 68, you know, $30 million uh, with a total of uh, almost $45 million coming to our district in the last 30 days as it relates to parks for our community. And I'll go down the list, Dream Homes, a community that I have some childhood friends that I play soccer with will be getting, you know, $8.5 million to build some parks there in the Dream Homes community. City of Coachella, a city that I was born and raised in and have uh, strong ties and roots to um, and that I proudly represent as mayor, will be getting $8.4 million to build Central Park in an area of town that has been, you know, uh, overlooked when it comes to investing in parks by new development. City of India will be building a brand-new sports complex, $8.5 million. This is a sports complex that... Former city manager Glenn Southern, I'm talking about 15 years ago, promised the community they would have. And thanks to the new leadership of video and the collaboration with our office, $8.5 million has been secured. The Deseret District is getting $4.5 million to build the first park ever in the community of Theramo. That community has been working hard uh, to make sure that these types of investments make their way. They applied last year. They fell short. We got together with them, the state parks grant readers and they gave us uh, all the answers to the test i will say meaning they gave us some very constructive feedback on why our grant application fell short the last time and this time we scored big 4.5 million dollars these are the types of things that matter uh to me to the people that we represent and these are the things that people want to see their representative get done they don't want to see a press release and a headline they don't want to see a press conference to make a lot of noise about how we're fighting for this or fighting for that. They want to see money brought to the district. They want to see good public policy passed that will align issues, interests, and opportunities to bring home money. Um, that's what we're doing. That's what we've done. I'm excited to also tell you that you know, $14.2 million was awarded to communities in Imperial County, City of Califatia, City of Coast Central, and the Heber Public Utility District. So I'm excited. You know, we've we've uh, been in the legislature not for a long time. But I'll tell you, it feels like we've been able to just get a lot done in that short period of time. I want to turn our attention now, uh, Assemblymember Garcia, uh, to higher learning. And uh, there has been much reporting and speculation by some in the community that with Dr. Garcia's selection as president, uh, which in itself was met with some opposition, that there has been a focus on building a campus uh, in the city of Coachella rather than uh, in Palm Springs with the College of the Desert and possibly putting the Roadrunner Motors facility in the city of Indio rather than Cathedral City. Uh, that in itself has raised some eyebrows from members of both communities as well as from their city council members. Uh, to the best of your knowledge, has there been any requests in verbal or written communication to President Garcia or members of the Board of Trustees at COD by your office or Coachella City officials or County Supervisor Perez uh, or his staff to consider or look at putting that campus instead in the East Valley and uh, real estate uh, there instead of finishing what began in Palm Springs and Cathedral City. Let me share with you that from the beginning of the appointment of Dr. Garcia, and it's unfortunate, the way this has played out, you know, the outgoing superintendent and president of College of the Desert did her absolutely no favors. And what I mean by that is, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for uh, Dr. Kinnaman and uh, his work uh, during the time at COB. We had uh, a great relationship, and in fact, he came to me when I was mayor. He came to me as an assembly member, 
to support uh, the bond initiatives uh, that uh, are now um, front and center of this debate. And the commitments that were made then, um, that, uh, that were made by him and the leadership of COD, were that there would be an equitable distribution of those bond resources, given that the data would drive decision-making, meaning where is your population, where is the population growth, where is your student enrollment growth, and that's where we need to build infrastructure in order to build accessibility to the community college campus. And so those were the commitments that he made, specifically to have a greater presence in the eastern Coachella Valley. We have a campus in Thermal Mecca that has been sitting there, um, unfortunately, on modulars uh, with no real uh, water and sewer um, infrastructure there, with no uh, plans whatsoever, as I understand, to uh, expand the uh, accessibility of educational services there. And that was started way before any of the conversations that we're having today, and yet nothing has come to fruition. I think that the leaders of the West Valley and the cities of Palm Springs and Cathedral City have every right to question the decisions that are being made by the leadership of the college and the new president. But they also should uh, understand that whatever decisions are being contemplated or changed, um, that there is and there has to be, you know, transparency and they have to be data driven as it relates to enrollment and the type of programs that are being aligned for those communities. Now, I'll say this. Um, I believe that there shouldn't be either or, that there can be campuses in Palm Springs, campuses in the eastern Coachella Valley and the mid-valley areas to be able to create greater access to education. I support 100% that a campus in Palm Springs be built. What I support is that it be aligned with the type of industry that will uh, allow for economic development and growth and employment opportunities for these college-attending students in the West Valley. I also support the idea that there be an automotive campus uh, where you have uh, industry, like in Cathedral City and like in Indio, that would attract uh, the student population to facilitate growth in those types of industries uh, that are located in those communities. Uh, What I don't support is that uh, the majority of the uh, bond money that has been approved by all of us, all of the voters in the Coachella Valley, be all consolidated in one project in one area uh, and one geographic region of the Coachella Valley. Let's be fair, let's be equitable, and let's also give Dr. Garcia a chance to do her job. She's been on the job for four months. You know, I got to watch the former president in a video talking to faculty um, of the college when the announcement of her appointment was made, uh, you know, pretending to be Inspector Gadget and developing these conspiracy theories of how it came to be that she was selected and who she was connected with and who she was friends with. And the fact of the matter is that it did absolutely no justice to the students and the families who depend on College of the Desert and sound leadership to make sound decisions to move forward uh, with good investments that will increase accessibility to college classes of uh, the college campus at COB. I am an alumni of the college. I care tremendously about what happens there. I care tremendously about the reputation of the college. I care tremendously about how we equitably invest these resources. And like I said, Palm Springs leadership and Cathedral leadership have every right to question whether or not these campuses are going to be pursued and uh, and ultimately built 
but they also, uh, I believe, need to give the president, who's been on the job for four months, an opportunity to get things together. Uh, because I didn't see any of the leaders in the East Valley or the West Valley pressuring, you know, the former president of the college uh, over the course of the years that he was there, overseeing the hundreds of millions of dollars of bond infrastructure money. No one questioned him. No one pressured him. No one beat him up. No one beat up his administration. No one beat up the board members. But, but let me ask you. Why the campus at Palm Springs wasn't being built. Let me ask this, though. I mean, they did build a big campus in India, right? That's correct, yes. Okay. And I, I think that that's why a lot of people are looking at this, and now they've got this huge blight, this big patch of dirt, where there used to be a mall that stood there, and at least it had a trade school in it. Now there is absolutely no second uh, post-secondary education in uh, the West Valley, and, and I've heard this from people up in Desert Hot Springs as well who are concerned that their students up there, and they have many of them who attend school in the Mid-Valley at COD, that there's no campus closer to them. And I think that that's what brings a lot of that emotion out in this conversation and, and gets people going, what's going on? Because even the, the Desert Suns editorial board recently, in the last couple of weeks, had a conversation with Dr. Garcia and asked her about about them having transparency and and she said definitely the right things but then their own reporters sound that they were either dishonest or they were ignorant or unaware that the persons there and on the board of trustees didn't know the answers and in either of those cases i would agree with you that dr garcia has to be given an opportunity to to do her work but at the same time if, if there appears to be leadership in the school that is not being transparent or is being deceptive, if that turns out to be the case, would you join those who are calling for her to be replaced? Look, uh, the dirt lot in Palm Springs uh, didn't come about in the last four months. <laughs> the dirt lot in Palm Springs has been there for quite some time, and it goes back to the prior president of the college, right? And so, uh, again, you know, there are some uh, things to be done, some work to be done when it comes to uh, that campus and what the campus will look like moving forward. We're 100% in support of that. You, you made uh, a really good point, and that is that uh, uh, the leadership of the community college has said one thing, and we have found out um, uh, quite the opposite in some cases. That, that's what you just said, and that's what the news has reported. You know, Dr. Garcia came into the job not be the handpicked person by the former superintendent of uh, the college. A lot of people internally uh, certainly uh, have not, in my opinion, uh, seem to be uh, very uh, collaborative and cooperative with the new president of the college. That being said, she needs some time to get her hands around the administration, the relationships on the board, and the relationships with our city councils to be able to look them straight in the eye and say, this is the direction that we're going in because of the funds, because of the planning, because of the need, because of enrollment, because of growth projections. And I trust that uh, she will do that job. I watched her work in Imperial Valley as the president of that college. Those folks there really, really hated to lose her. And, uh, and it's unfortunate that uh, our welcome uh, to her in the Coachella Valley has been nothing but, uh, you know, conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory. And now uh, what I ask the people of Coachella Valley is uh, to give her an opportunity to work and uh, determine whether or not she's the right person for the right job in uh, the Coachella Valley for this community college. I believe she is. 
Uh, I support her 100%, and uh, we want to see her be successful because if she's successful, that means that the students and the families uh, who depend on College of the Desert will be successful. And I want to talk about another institution with you as well because I think that this plays an even bigger role in terms of the expansion of our region's economy, and that is Cal State University. We've touched on it a little bit before, but where do things stand right now with regards to Palm Desert becoming the site of the next full-scale university in the state of California? Yeah, Cal State Palm Desert uh, sounds really well, and and I think uh, uh, it's very well positioned uh, uh, for other universities or petitions to become standalone universities. I think uh, we're in a good spot to be able to secure uh, 50 to $100 million in this coming budget for our purposes. And by the way, I will say that it, this work has been done in collaboration with Assembly Member Chad Mays. Uh, we're in a good spot to secure anywhere between 50 to $100 million to build a student life center. That, that would be an enhancement uh, in the positioning of securing a long-term designation for it uh, to be its own campus. Well, There was an evaluation done uh, by the state of California to determine which uh, petition is best positioned. And without a doubt, you know, the word has come back that uh, the Cal State Palm Desert campus is probably the best situated to become the next Cal State University. That is a timing issue with the Board of Trustees at the Cal State level. That is a timing issue as it relates to economics and the budget of the state of California to endeavor into building and designating a new university. But I will tell you that Palm Desert Campus of Cal State San Bernardino is the best position. And that is one of our priorities as well as it relates to education uh, in our agenda. Please correct me if I'm wrong in this, but isn't the Palm Desert region of the five places, the five sites that are being considered for possibly being another full-on campus, is Palm Desert not the only location or are we not the only region of the five that has no other four-year university? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I'm and I'm pretty sure that that's that, the case, um, but, you know, it seems to I, me that it's key to our attracting, you know, the kinds of businesses that want a STEM-skilled workforce and being able to have a university where kids are coming out of that and also being able to host research programs and uh, create living wage jobs because hospitality is not going to cover it with many of the jobs that are being replaced by automation in the next decade or two. It, it's interesting that you bring that up, John, because, you know, not to regress in the conversation, but we're talking about a campus in Palm Springs for the community college that wants to focus on hospitality uh, and the perpetuation of those types of low living wage jobs. <laughs> and and here we're talking about the Cal State San Bernardino, who also has now uh, endeavored into uh, uh, developing a four-year university degree in the hospitality industry. I imagine that those degrees and that type of workforce training is critical to sustaining and maintaining the current uh, economic you know, driver of our region, uh, along with ag. But you've hit the nail uh, right on the head uh, uh, when it comes to the future jobs and the future opportunities. And without a doubt, having a four-year university, uh, uh, that will stimulate, you know, that conversation and the movement towards diversifying our economic base and the job opportunities for this region. And so that's why the effort of a full-time campus here is uh, at the top of the, the list of both Chad Mays and, and mine when it comes to the collaborative work that we do in the legislature. Uh, one last point. 
Uh, you asked the question, is our region the only region that doesn't have a university um, within the area? You may be right. I don't know that detail. What I do know is that there are uh, other elements that make our area competitive, and that is, you know, the actual planning of that area where the Cal State San Bernardino Palm Desert Campus lies, the contribution that the city of Palm Desert has made, the uh, partnership with UC Riverside Extension Campus, uh, the projected growth of the Coachella Valley, the diversifying of our economies and opportunities in the renewable energy areas and STEM research, and the investment into the broadband infrastructure that the state also put forward this year, uh, close to $7 billion. Uh, There's just a lot of work um, that kind of aligns that's happened, the philanthropy that's taken place and the demonstrated commitment by those in our community who want to see this happen that positions the Palm Desert campus uh, in a really good place to become the next designated Cal State University. Not to mention that it rips apart the family fabric uh, for young adults who end up leaving our area to get an education in one of those fields in science or technology or things like that. And then they end up having to leave the area and not be able to live near their family necessarily. So there is a social impact to that beyond what I think a lot of people think about. Now, unfortunately, the public health concerns that we have endured over the past couple of years Uh, are still front and center, a new strain of COVID that seems to penetrate even those who have been vaccinated three times, uh, though fortunately with less lethal impact uh, for those who have been vaccinated, is wreaking havoc. And with a return to life as we once knew it being further away, we frequently are hearing state mandates and policies being passed down from health and welfare agencies. Uh, Most recently, Cal OSHA, revising rules about quarantines and masking and distancing policies for workers who test positive even if they are asymptomatic and employers are screaming to the high heavens claiming that they can't get people to work or have enough people for their workforce there are still too many people refusing vaccination and that complicates society recovering from this. Is there any movement on the floor of the Assembly or the Senate or from the governor's office to toughen mandates and enforce or provide more enforcement for reining this thing in? I think we'll see that. You know, we go back to session on the 3rd of January and we will see the introduction of hundreds of uh, bills that will uh, deal with the type of oversight, accountability, and enforcement as we continue to be under this emergency, you know, kind of mandate, right? Uh, there's still an executive order in place that gives the governor a lot of authority to make some of these decisions. But you'll see the legislature uh, introducing a handful of bills, I would imagine, that align uh, with some of the things that you've just mentioned. The fact is, is that uh, we're still not out of the woods. And it's just mind-boggling to see that we still have a debate with folks on whether or not uh, they should wear masks, yeah. uh, whether or not uh, the vaccine is the right thing to do or not. Recently, I was horrified have- to learn uh, from a personal friend who knew somebody who is a nurse in a neonatal center at a hospital, and she is a declared anti-vaxxer, and she's still going to work, thus exposing vulnerable newborn children to COVID. It seems for the greater good, shouldn't we be able to expect our lawmakers to prohibit such situations by legislative mandate and the same with jails and prisons and such? I, I, I think we can, and I think that there is going to be a conversation that we do. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, we'll be returning to legislative session on the 3rd, and Rest assured that these conversations will be brought forward and uh, will create 
some interesting debate between the public health experts, our business community, and then, of course, those who are just anti-mask, vax, um, you know, uh, you name it. And so it's going to be an interesting year going back uh, to the legislature uh, under what would now be, I don't know, it seems like our, the third year of COVID. Almost starting you know, it, uh, yeah. You know, starting the third year of, of this pandemic and uh, and uh, what we will do to uh, to try to uh, keep Californians safe. And I can tell you that, you know, one of the things that I'm very proud of is that uh, California has maintained uh, at the top of the list of kind of having a handle on this issue, even as much as the critique that the governor, you know, took on, uh, for God's sake, he was uh, he was recalled uh, or at least put up to a recall vote. Uh, as a result of uh, uh, some of the critical decisions that were made um, with the handling of the pandemic. And I think Californians said uh, we trust the direction that we're going in when it comes to protecting the public health and well-being of, of all Californians. And so uh, we've got to work it out going back to the legislature. I'm excited uh, for this upcoming year. But you certainly uh, have uh, you know touched base on a lot of issues that remain uh, hot topics of uh, of discussion, whether they be local, like the College of the Desert, or for that matter, regional, like Salt and Sea and climate change. Uh, but uh, you know, we've got uh, we've got to work it out, and I'm eager to get back to work. Healthcare systems across the nation have uh, come to the breaking point, Eduardo, and they have had to make decisions about who receives critical care. Uh, you are undoubtedly aware of this being the case in El Centro, uh, but with many people who have other serious illnesses being turned away from the care that they need because beds and human resources are limited due to COVID. It seems to me that the unvaccinated should be the lowest priority at this point, at least those who are older than five years old when it comes to gaining access to treatment. They're posing an unnecessary risk to frontline health workers and to other people who need medical care, in my opinion. What are your thoughts on a mandate to give preference for treatment to persons who are over five years of age and did the responsible thing by getting vaccinated? And can we legally, legislatively mandate that? I I, I don't know, to be quite honest with you. I don't know the answer to that question. You're asking me what my thoughts are, and really it's a a difficult one, right? It, It seems like it would be logically the right one. But uh, I, I would imagine that there would be some unique circumstances and exemptions, right, yeah. to, to the kind of criteria that you've set forward as who we should prioritize. But, man, you got me thinking here. I don't have a direct answer for you, uh, uh, something that uh, probably will stimulate some additional conversation <laughs> amongst you know, my peers and those listening to the podcast. Well, you got running... me there, John. <laughs> this is when I wish I was a doctor, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe well, have a much more educated uh, opinion on this matter. Well, <laughs> Maybe we, you can ask Dr. Reese about that. With a run for, if I could ever get him on, uh, with a run for federal office and all that keeps you so busy in Sacramento, all this stuff that you've been talking about in these victories over this past year, working for the people of the Desert Cities region, what do you have time for and aspire to accomplish in 2022? Do you have time? Look, uh, our agenda in the legislature doesn't change a whole lot. You know, we've been working since we got to the state legislature on issues related to early education. We're excited to see the investments that um, are going to be made in that area this year that trickle uh, down all the way to early education, to after-school programs, and 
career tech education stuff. Uh, we've been working on broadband infrastructure issues given the, the nature of our district and connectivity problems. And uh, we, we've seen some work uh, and investment this last year. Uh, housing and uh, community development is something that uh, is important, and we worked on securing some money for relocating the poor people of Oasis Mamon Park. You know, those families uh, slowly are being relocated, but uh, you've got new families moving in, which is where the issue of the federal government, you know, accountability, BIA, EPA issue, you know, steps in uh, that uh, we're all kind of, you know, uh, bent out of shape about, to be quite candid with you. Yeah. Uh, we're working on issues related to uh, employment and workforce training um, and, of course, salt and sea climate clean water, clean air issues along the border. Our agenda doesn't change. We just continue to uh, build on the work that we did the prior year. We have people approach us to work on new pieces of legislation in areas that are outside of, you know, the realm of the issues that I just mentioned. And we'll, we'll consider them, explore them. We, we, we love working on issues related to, um, you know, criminal justice reform. We, we, we appreciate the opportunities that uh, we can put forward for, uh, formerly reincarcerated people that can get a second chance. I talk about, you know, there are people who have had the three or four second chances uh, thanks to, you know, California's, you know, uh, laws or people who believe in, in, in the kindness and, and, and the goodness of, of people that they can change and they can do better for themselves and their families. And so we'll keep working on those types of issues. You know, uh, we've got the fires that are happening throughout the state still that have not completely gone away. Last year we got to work on a bill that allowed you know, the incarcerated young men and women who are fighting these fires are trained firefighters for, for what it's worth. And, you know, when they get out of prison uh, or jail, they are unable to seek a job in that area because of their criminal backgrounds. And we, along with uh, woman Louise Ray, has changed that law to give those folks an opportunity, right? Those folks are our neighbors, are our family members in some cases. And they're lifesavers. They're just... And they're lifesavers. That's absolutely right. And so they should have that opportunity. Those are the types of things that we've been working on. We'll continue to work on. And in the meanwhile, we've got a couple of days uh, of downtime, spend some family time, uh, you know, before the new year. And uh, before we make a decision, you know, someone asked me the other day, why in the hell would you want to go to the uh, Washington, D.C. and survey Congress <laughs> if you've got so much going on in the state legislature. And I said, look, it isn't something that I aspire to do. It's something that the people that I've been representing in the eastern Coachella Valley uh, and uh, the Imperial County uh, have, have asked me to consider, given our work and trajectory of, of success and outcomes. And, uh, and that's the thinking that we have uh, going on right now. And so we'll soon make a decision, but whatever decision we make, uh, you know, will be the one that I believe we will best be able to serve. And, and again, you know, I said this earlier, this isn't about the current congressman. Uh, I love the current congressman. He's a childhood friend. You know, I've uh, admired his, his commitment, his passion uh, to serve our community as a medical doctor and in his tenure in Congress. But I think there's a lot more to be done uh, if given the opportunity. Well, thank you, Eduardo Garcia, 56th District Assembly Member for California, representing the Coachella and Imperial Valleys. Stay in touch with us, if you would, and let us know what people should do to help advance the programs and quality of life initiatives that you are advocating for. And Happy New Year to you. Thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Happy New Year to everyone in the Coachella Valley. 